Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. We all know that sleep is a critical component to help us function. But what if you're a parent who is struggling to help your child fall asleep? Bonnie Demick was having this exact issue with her newborn and wasn't finding the help and support she needed. So she decided to take matters into her own hands and became a child sleep consultant. Her firm, Sleep, Love, and Happiness, provides support to parents nationwide. Although Bonnie focuses on infants and toddlers, we talk about issues facing tweens and teens whose sleep schedules naturally adjust as they grow older a transition that has some school districts changing their start times throughout the country based on research that shows shows older kids learn better later in the morning in contrast to elementary kids who learn earlier in the morning. While not easy, Bonnie talks about two essential elements that help kids at any age sleep better, which include establishing a bedtime routine and reflecting a sense of calmness when it's time for your kids to shut it down. Please enjoy my conversation with Bonnie Demick. Bonnie, let's just dig right into your background and what you do as a cheap or as a, as a child sleep consultant, which is probably one of the most unique, uh, I'd say, career professions that I've had on the show so far in the first year. So to have oh, wow. somebody like this niche is is really interesting. And I was just reminded of the lack of sleep as my plus one turn nine yesterday. And I, I hearken back to the days where my triplets that first year, I tell people that was by far the worst year of my life, not because I didn't love my children, but because uh, I wasn't getting any sleep and I was the night shift uh, uh, role, if you will. So um, so let, let's start there with, with your background and how you came to be. All right. Well, that sounds good. So I'm Bonnie. I'm a pediatric sleep consultant. And the way I got into this is because my daughter, my oldest, was not a good sleeper. She was waking up every hour, hour and a half all night long. And I was not I was not good. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. It was very rough. And so I found um, a way to help her sleep. Um, I was very, you know, stressed out about, you know, are we going to have to let her cry it out and just shut the door and leave her all night long? I didn't want to do that, but I also couldn't be up every hour, hour and a half all night long. So I found a way to get her sleeping, being able to support her through the process. And I just read everything I possibly could about child sleep. I was so interested and I just felt called to help other parents get their kids sleeping because I know how valuable it is for a family's entire life. 
Yeah, especially so, like when I when I was going through that with mine, I suffer from migraines. And so lack lack of sleep or just getting your sleep schedule messed up is a really big trigger for me. So that that made it even especially hard that first year. Oh, definitely. You know, mental health, physical health are so impacted by sleep or lack thereof. And so as I learned more about baby and toddler and child sleep, I just was like, this is a way I can help families. And so I felt called to get trained as a sleep consultant through one of the top training programs in the U.S. that's recognized by the Association of Pediatric Sleep Consultants and the Association of um, Sleep Consultants, Professional Association of Professional Sleep Consultants. It's a mouthful. Can you edit that out? <laughs> no, this is this is all live. Uh, no, we'll get that. So, how did you? So you you mentioned you did a lot of research. Like, how did how did you find like you know this you know, designation, if you will? It was it just like did you just rely on Mister Google or how did that? How did your research take form, if you will? So through the program I certified through originally. There was a lot of different resources recommended to educate us on all the different um, aspects of sleep. So the science of sleep, the different strategies and methodologies and lines of thought behind how to get your child to sleep, because there's a whole wide range of what to do to help get kids sleeping independently. Is that something that, because I, I never really remember having a conversation with our pediatrician about it, but is that something pediatricians go through, you know, residency or learn about, or is it, is there anything there? Typically not. There was a study done uh, a couple of years ago that showed that pediatricians get less than five hours of training and sleep. And so they tend to not be the best people to go to if you want a wide range of what's possible. Most pediatricians that my clients have worked with, that I've worked with, that I know professionally recommend doing a cry it out strategy. And that kind of is the limitation of what they offer. Other than referring to someone like myself who can help families with other options. So to, I guess to really dive right into it, like how, how were you able to get your daughter to be able to sleep? So the, the biggest thing with independent sleep is kids have to do it on their own. Babies, toddlers, kids, they have to fall asleep on their own to help them be able to connect sleep cycles. Because the way our sleep works is when we fall asleep, whatever that circumstances that we fall asleep in, we expect that to be the same when we wake up in between sleep cycles. So if a baby falls asleep nursing or being rocked, they wake up in between sleep cycles in their crib, they're going to be like, wait a second, how did I get here? 
And they're going to want that situation that they're used to for falling asleep recreated. So it's about helping babies make it their own job to put themselves to sleep. And so it involves putting baby down awake. And there can be some steps before you get to that point, but putting them down awake and supporting them through the process. So you can talk to them, touch them, sing to them, soothe them to help them be in a calm place to allow their sleep pressure to take over to help them fall asleep. So is obviously you mentioned it a couple of times, crying it out is a, is a strategy, but I'm assuming that's not one that you recommend. So if families want to use a cry it out strategy, totally fine whatever works for each family, but that's not what I do in my practice. I have a responsive approach where we are really supporting babies through learning these skills. So how, how do you go about working with a set of parents when it comes to um, laying out you know, specific things that they should be doing when it comes to trying to help you know, kids fall asleep? So when I first start working with a family, I have an in-depth evaluation that I complete looking at personality, temperament, parenting style, development, all of those pieces so that I can personalize a sleep plan that's going to meet each family where they're at, taking into account their comfort levels, what they know about their child, what soothes their child, so that we can use that to help baby be in the best possible place to easily fall asleep. When, when you're working with parents, do you, I'm assuming you come across this because I know working in the the financial planning space, like when I first sit down with a couple, they could be on opposite ends of the money spectrum, if you will. So when you sit down with, with parents for the first time, um, do you find that there's a, a disconnect between how one wants to handle um, sleep versus the other? And if so, like, how do you bridge those, those gaps, if you will? So I definitely find that there tends to be a disconnect. Um, in many parents, um, a mom will feel a certain way about crying and a dad will feel a different way about crying. And that's typically what it comes down to is the crying. And so I like to talk them through, you know, what aspects of crying, how does that crying make them feel? And then talk to them about how we can minimize that crying and how working together, that's what we are going to do. And so even though dads may be on a spectrum where they are more like, let's do something like cry it out, they typically get on board when they see that their partner is on board with a plan that gets them to the same goal while minimizing that crying and helping their partner feel more comfortable with the process. So it's really about helping them see that they can reach their goals through a different method. Okay. So when you're from, do you mainly focus on infants or toddlers or like, what's the age spectrum? Is it obviously from, is it like newborns up to like three or four year olds? Or is it like, um, ages older than that. So I work with 
kids from newborn to age eight and say the majority that I work with are between four months and four and a half years old with that kind of split 50, 50 between babies, four months to 18 months and toddlers, 18 months to four and a half year olds. And is it, obviously there's, depending on the ages of the, of the child or the kids, there's different strategies for each age groups, if you will. Definitely. Because, you know, the older kids are, we want to work with their sense of wanting to be independent and having ownership and control over the process. We want to make sure that they feel comfortable and confident and secure going to sleep. We want to do that with babies. We want babies to feel competent, comfortable, and secure going to sleep as well. But the way you accomplish that with a baby is very different than when you have a toddler who has very strong opinions and can communicate those opinions to us in a different way than babies can. So we can actually work with that to help set them up for being able to fall asleep independently and motivating them to want to learn the skills. So actually that leads me to a point where as, and I know this is for older kids, like, so my triplets will be 11 in December and my plus one, as I mentioned, just turned nine um, yesterday. So is it always best to have a set sleep time? Because I know like with, with my one daughter, triplet daughter, you know, she even wears it as, as a badge of honor. Well, I'm a night hawk. You know, I'm like my mom. I like to stay up late. And, and obviously that means she likes to sleep in, in, the, in the morning. So it's hard to get her up and going for school. So mm-hmm. I know all of us from the research that I've done on just sleep, we all have our own individual circadian. Did I say that right? Sar- circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm. Um, I'm, kids have their own as well. So is there, is there a way to help get them out of that or shift or how does that work? So you definitely can shift where the body clock lies within a certain spectrum. So being a night owl versus being an early bird does have a genetic component to it. So like you said, your wife is a more of a night owl and your daughter says she's a night owl, just like her mom. And so that probably is part of that genetic component where her body clock is set to a later time than maybe her siblings. But you can do a little shifting of that. It starts with you know, waking her up at a certain time to help her be able to go to bed at an earlier time. Because the way sleep works, in addition to our circadian rhythm, we have our homeostatic sleep drive. So sleep pressure that builds up in our brain during the day then decreases as we sleep. And so waking her up earlier helps her sleep pressure build up so that it's at a high point to help her fall asleep faster and earlier. And so you can't do a big shift. You can't like jump like two hours but you can do it in increments of, you know, 15 to 30 minutes to help her gently get her bedtime earlier. But it's definitely hard because we are, there's an aspect that we're hardwired to either be a night owl or, or an early bird. And with your triplets hitting adolescence, 
their body clocks naturally shift later. And so they'll become more of night owls just in general, because that's what happens as they hit adolescence. Yeah. I've, I've already started noticing that over the past couple of years is that they, they definitely stay up later and later. And it, it used to, I used to always have to fight with them about it. And now I've kind of backed off where I'm like, okay, it is what it is. You know, as long as I try to keep to, you know, trying to get them in bed, we try to keep a routine. And that's one Mm -hmm. of the questions I wanted to ask you is how critical is setting a routine? It is very, very helpful because that routine, these things happen in this order before we go to sleep. It cues our brain and body. So our brain and body learn that when these things happen in this order, it means we're going to transition to sleep and it helps prepare our body to fall asleep easily. So for example, I, you know, brush my teeth, I get in my pajamas, I journal every night. And even if I'm not tired as I'm starting that process, because I do it every night, as I start to do the journaling, I get sleepy because my brain and body knows that this is the way things happen. And so for kids, that's very important to have that bedtime routine so that it helps them be able to fall asleep easier at bedtime. Now, I know from reading and research I've done on sleep, at least from an adult standpoint, you know, it's recommended adults get seven to eight hours of sleep. How much sleep should kids be getting every night? And, and does that vary by age as well? Yes, it varies by age. So babies obviously need the most sleep. Up until they're about 18 months, they need between 12 and 15 hours of sleep. And then that drops between 18 months and three years to 11 to 14 hours of sleep and continues to drop from there. So a three to five-year-old needs between 10 and 13 hours of sleep. And so it is a, you know, a three-hour range. We each have our own sleep need. So one of your kids may need you know, nine and a half hours of sleep and your other child might need 10 and a half hours of sleep to meet their own sleep need. So I know uh, one of the other papers I read recently, um, it's kind of becoming a hot topic. And and I I know this is not associated with babies, but it kind of relates to this question that we're on is as kids get older, um, at least here in in, in Michigan, where we're, where where we live, um, their school start time starts getting earlier. So now they're in elementary, they start at, at, at nine. I think in middle school, maybe they start at eight. And then like, once they get to high school, they start at like really early, like seven, seven thirty in the morning. And a lot of what I've read is that that's like the worst time to try to get a teenager up and going and learning at that um, hour of the day. Is that... Can you shed any light on that as well? And if, if so, like, what do you do at that stage of life? <laughs> so that's with that, you know, hitting puberty, hitting adolescence, that sleep phase shift where now their natural body rhythm is telling them not to go to sleep until 10 to 12. So it's really hard for them to go to sleep earlier. And so having to wake up at seven, they're not able to get 
that full amount of sleep that they need. So between 13 and 18 years old, typically eight to 10 hours of sleep. So they need more sleep than we do as adults, as teenagers. And if they're not able to fall asleep until 11 and they have to wake up at six to go to school at seven, they're not able to get that sleep that they need. And it's not that they won't go to bed earlier. It's that they can't, their body is telling them they can't. And so there is a shift on in schools wanting to start later for middle school and high school. I know where I'm at in the suburbs of Denver, our school system now elementary starts earliest and then middle school and then high school to help align with the sleep that kids need because research shows that kids need to meet their sleep need in order to best be able to learn. Have you seen any date? Like when did, how long ago did they make that shift? It's just been a year or two. It's okay. been fairly recent as more and more data comes out about teenagers and sleep and how sleep affects their learning. So it'll be interesting to see, like, I don't know how, how long that study goes on to see like what impact it actually has. Um, so along those lines, so let's just say um, we'll stick with teenagers. You said they need between eight and 10 hours and of sleep. Mm -hmm. So can they get that in chunks or in, in breaks, or does it have to be all, all at one time? Meaning like, okay, I'm going to go to bed at, you know, 11 at night. I got to get up at seven. That's eight hours, but I need two more. So I take an hour nap after school. So I get a total of, you know, nine or 10 hours. How does, how does that play into the, the research or, you know, what you do as far as is, is that appropriate or is it best to get all eight or nine hours of sleep all at once? So you really have to look at over 24 hours. Are we meeting the sleep need? But sleep tends to be the most restorative when we're getting it in long chunks. So for babies and toddlers, they obviously need daytime sleep. Their brain needs that to consolidate what they've been learning into memories so that they can actually learn it. And so as far as teenagers and naps, that's not necessarily my area of expertise, but I do know that we really have to look at a total 24 hour period. Are we meeting the sleep need? But we tend to feel most rested and refreshed when we get that long block of sleep at night. So one of the things that, that I wanted to come back to is the the designations and training that you went through to get uh, to, to be a, a licensed sleep, cons sleep consultant. Can you walk us through some of the, the details behind, you know, the designations that you have in, in the certifications? So the thing with the sleep consultant industry is it is not regulated at all. Anyone can say there is a sleep consultant, become a sleep consultant. There are probably hundreds of training programs. And so being a part of the Association of Professional Sleep Consultants, I've gone through one of the um, highest rated programs. I'm no longer affiliated with that program because certain aspects of it don't align with my current views on sleep. But that's where I, I initially trained and got my certification. But certification is a 
relative term for sleep consultants because there is nothing regulating it. Okay. So do you, do you have to go through, I know with me in the financial planning industry, being a certified financial planner, I have to go and I think it's 40 continuing education credits every two years is what I'm required to do. Is that, is there requirements like that uh, with, with your, with your designation or certification at all? Technically, no. Through the professional organizations I'm a part of, I do a lot of continuing education, but that's because I want to do it. I want to be educated in my field so I can be the best of the best. But technically, there is no requirement for us to go through any continuing education because anyone can decide they're going to be a sleep consultant and say they're a sleep consultant and there's nothing preventing them from doing that. So right now it is not a high priority from what I understand to regulate the industry. Okay. How, um, like when you're dealing with families, do they, do you interact at all with their pediatrician when it comes to, um, some of the, the strategies or techniques that you end up you know, trying to utilize with, with parents? So I typically don't interact with their pediatrician directly, but oftentimes, especially if there have been health issues in the past, I ask parents to take our plan to the pediatrician and get pediatrician okay for moving forward. Okay. What, um, and kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, are there, are there a few, I guess, what would be like the most critical, like one or two tactics that parents with newborn toddlers could take away from our conversation as far as what they could do today to help their babies sleep through the night better? So the first is helping babies make it their own job to fall asleep. So putting them down awake and supporting them in whatever way feels comfortable to the family, but ultimately having a baby fall asleep in their sleep space. And one of the biggest tools to do that is staying regulated as a parent. So the calmer a parent is, they share that calm with their baby or toddler, and that energetically helps babies regulate their system through co-regulation to help them be able to be at a calmer place and allow their sleep pressure to take over so that they can feel that feeling of falling asleep on their own. And as they learn to feel that feeling of falling asleep on their own, they figure out what they can do within their own bodies to help themselves fall asleep. Does that make sense? It does. And maybe that's why I struggled so much because I was never very, I'm still not a very calm parent. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't when I wasn't getting any sleep either. Um, it definitely takes some intention and self-care. It is, it is much, much easier said than done. Very good. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, um, my, my closing question that I ask all of my guests is, what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh, that is a hard question because there really are so many amazing things. But I would say for me, the best part of being a parent is really 
getting to know my kids and their like unique personalities and what makes them who they are because they are their own little people and getting to know them and figuring out how I can best support them to be the best version of themselves. I would say that's, that's my favorite part. Well, that, that is a terrific uh, response. It's, it's always my favorite question I ask everyone because there's so, it's such a dynamic of, of answer answers and, 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 and it's interesting to see where people go with that, that, that question. So um, Bonnie, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, how do people find you? Like how do people um, find your work and what you do? So you can find me at sleeploveandhappiness.com. So my, I'm the owner of Sleep, Love, and Happiness Sleep Consulting because I think those three things really go together. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Sleep, Love, and Happiness. Okay. We'll definitely make sure that we put links in the show notes to that. So Bonnie, thank you so much for being a part of the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And I'm sure we'll look forward to getting some more sleep soon. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.